Welcome to the Jubilee Plus podcast. I'm Abby Thomas and with me is Rachel Wilson. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Hi, Abby. It's great to be with you. Oh, it's really lovely to host with you, Rachel. I've been really looking forward to it. Likewise. So we're here today to bring another of the keynote talks from the Churches That Change Communities Conference 2023. This time it's from Natalie Williams, who's the CEO of Jubilee Plus and who hosted the last episode with me. But first, let's hear a little bit about you. What's your role with Jubilee Plus, Rachel? Yeah, so I'm part of the core team for Jubilee Plus, which is a pretty great team to be in. And my role there is to look after our communications. And so most of the time that's looking after our website and blog and social media. And occasionally it's speaking or writing and basically getting the words out about God's heart for the vulnerable, his heart for the marginalised and telling people about the great work churches are doing this area as well. So the theme of the conference this year, Rachel, was standing in the gap. Why did you choose that theme? Yeah, so we really like this phrase. It's a phrase that the prophet Ezekiel uses, and he's speaking into a context of corruption and extortion and oppression of the poor. And he's looking, he's searching for someone to stand in the gap, but he can't find anyone. And he writes this really about 600 years before Christ comes. And we know that when Jesus comes, he comes to bridge that ultimate gap, that chasm between us and God. But really, some of what we're going to hear from Natalie today is about our call to image Jesus, to stand in some of the gaps we can see widening in the UK today and ultimately to point people to him and bring hope. So we're going to hear Natalie's keynote talk from the conference today, but we're also going to be releasing 16 of the seminars from the conference over the next episodes of the podcast. So we're in for a real feast Yeah, I think people are in for a treat and I think they'll find all of those seminars speak to this broader theme of standing in the gap. And early in the new year, we're also going to be bringing you some shorter podcast episodes based around the theme to mercy all, which will basically be just like short reflections on the mercy of God to us and the mercy we're called to carry to the vulnerable and marginalised people around us. So those will be out in the new year on the podcast as well. Excellent. And it's also the name of Natalie's new book, which will be out next year. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Tis Mercy Yours, a key eyes peeled for that one. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. The, the last two books she's written. She's written two or three books. I think I've only read two. I think more than three. Oh, my goodness. But now you're, te- but now you're testing me. I need to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> so introduce the author and wonderful Natalie Williams to us then, Rachel. Yeah, so I think it's important to know that really Natalie lives and breathes this stuff from the moment she wakes up in the morning until the moment she goes to sleep. I think she's someone who's deeply aware of the mercy of God at work in her own life, but really also of the radical call for every single believer's life to be characterised by justice, mercy and humility. And I think she's excited, as we are really, for society to experience that radical transformation that would come as a result of a church that is made up of believers that look like that. And I think this message today really speaks to the heart of that mission. Great. Let's hear Natalie's talk then now. It's an absolute joy to listen to. Thank you so much. Twelve days ago, the Guardian newspaper ran this headline that said that more than one million UK children experienced destitution last year. It's got the subheading there, severe material hardship is no longer a rarity. I often talk about growing up in relative poverty, but this is about destitution. This is something that is different. This is more than a million children in our nation, one of the richest nations in the world, whose families cannot afford to keep them adequately clean, warm, dry, and fed. 
This is more than one million children in one of the richest nations of the world who do not have adequate clothing, heating, shelter or food. Um, on the day that this, these um, statistics, this study by the Joseph Rowntree Foundation came out, I did a radio interview about this headline and about the findings of the study. And one of the questions I was asked in the radio interview was, are you shocked? And my answer was no. I'm not shocked because we've seen the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. We've seen the impact of stagnating wages. We've seen the impact of the cost of living crisis all around us. We've seen short-term solutions that apply one winter and don't apply the next. We've seen more people in our food banks, our debt centres, our supported accommodation. We've seen more people needing the range of practical support and services that we are offering through our churches and through our charities in our local communities. At the same time this week, there was a headline that said businesses are going bust this year at the same rate that they went bust in 2009, which is right on the back of the global financial crash. Local councils are facing bankruptcy, uh, dozens of them. County councils and district and borough councils across the nation. And there are two particular reasons that are actually causing that crisis. One of them is homelessness, and the other one is the growing need for children's services. When I was preparing for today, I felt like I could drown under the statistics about what is happening with poverty and inequality and injustice in our nation. But I know that in a room like this, you don't need me to paint that picture for you. You'll be seeing it week in, week out in faces of people who are coming to you for help. You'll be looking into the eyes of people who are coming to you saying, I just don't know how I'm going to get through yet another squeeze on my finances. And some of us in this room are wondering how we're going to get through it. Some of us are wondering, what are we going to do when we come out of our fixed-rate mortgage and our mortgage payments double? What are we going to do when our rent escalates? What are we going to do if food prices and gas prices and electricity and petrol keep going up? I know that will apply to many of us in the room as well. So we aren't shocked in many ways that there are a million children in destitution because we've seen it coming. We've seen it coming. The gap between those who are rich and those who are poor has been growing in our nation for a long, long time. Even the gap between those who are comfortable and those who are trapped in poverty, those who feel like they are sinking under the weight of the cost of living crisis and everything else that came before it, that gap is growing. Healthcare, housing, mental health services are buckling under the pressure as poverty deepens and inequality gets wider in our nation. And this is happening against a backdrop of chaos and uncertainty globally, nationally and locally. But we worship a God who cares. This morning, already, we have been worshipping the God who is powerful and cares about the needs in our communities. We worship a God who is present and who is active. And his answer to the chaos and the uncertainty around us is not a general election. I know some of us in, the, in this room will be thinking, if we had a change in government, some will be thinking that's the worst thing that could happen. 
But God's answer to the chaos and uncertainty around the world, in the UK, in our politics, in our local communities, is his church. That is his answer. The Bible says that those of us who follow Jesus have become co-workers with God. It's in 1 Corinthians 3. It says we are his co-laborers. Isn't that amazing that we get to be co-laborers with Jesus? That Jesus, the powerful one who could do everything he wants without our help, actually draws us in as his co-workers, his co-laborers. This saviour Jesus who came with good news for those who are trapped in poverty, those who are trapped by injustice or oppression, those who are broken and vulnerable and marginalised. Jesus came with good news, especially for those. Especially for those who are trapped in poverty and injustice. And Jesus is drawing his people into the family business. And the family business is carpentry and construction. That's the family business. We are now called to work with Jesus to rebuild. We are called to a ministry of restoration and renewal. To bring a taste of the kingdom of God to those around us. The theme of today's conference is standing in the gap. In the Bible, in Ezekiel 22 verse 29, it says this. God says this. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and ill-treat the foreigner, denying them justice Feels like it could have been written today, doesn't it? I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. Ezekiel was writing this almost 600 years before Jesus was born. But when Jesus came, as we know, he came as a mediator between God and humans. He came as the one who would stand in the gap for us. He took the punishment for our sins so that there would no longer be any gap between us and God. I find it utterly astonishing that though there used to be this vast, insurmountable gap between God and me because of my sin... Now he has removed my sin as far as the east is from the west. That vast gap that once stood between me and God is now the gap that stands between me and my sin. With me and God on one side together, there is no gap, no barrier, no obstacle between those who are in Jesus and God the Father anymore. Isn't that wonderful news? This is the gospel that we celebrate. This is the reason why we worship. This is the good news of the Bible. But that's not all. That's not all. Just as Jesus stood in the gap between us and God and brought us together, repairing our relationship, so we are called to stand in the gap like Jesus. We bear his image and are being conformed to his image. God's primary goal for us in this life is that we would become more and more like Jesus. His goal for us is maturity. 
My prayer for us today is that we will take steps of maturing in Christ-likeness. I want that in my own life. Don't you want that too? I want to be more like Jesus. The more I gaze on his beauty, the more I see how far I am from what he is like. But I know that God is committed to making me like Jesus. We get to stand in the gap. What an incredible privilege. We get to stand in the gap between people who are trapped in poverty and Jesus. We get to point them to the only one who can solve not only their present crisis, but also their eternal crisis. We get to stand in the gap on behalf of our communities, on behalf of the most vulnerable in our communities, and bring them before the Father. We get to stand in the gap in a society that is deeply polarised. Doesn't it just feel like it's getting worse in terms of polarisation? In our society, it feels like you can't disagree without, with someone without becoming their enemy. It feels like mercy and forgiveness and love for your enemies are no longer valued because they are seen as an affront somehow to justice. Christians are called to stand in the gap. We are called to a ministry of reconciliation. And so where inequality is widening, where that gap is getting bigger, we are called to stand in that gap between the rich and the poor, between the powerful and the powerless. We are called to stand there. But what do we do while we're standing there? Do we just stand there? Is that all we're supposed to do, literally? Do we just stand, your know, hands in your pockets, just, just stand? I think, firstly, what we must do in that gap is pray. We must pray. How often it gets neglected in our busyness of church life, social action, social justice, charity work. We must not forget to pray. We must pray. That's why we've released today the Stand in the Gap prayer resource. You've got them in your delegate packs. I'm so pleased we've been able to work with so many Christian charities across the UK because we believe we must be on our knees in prayer. We must be praying for our communities. We must be praying for those who are trapped in poverty, whether that's ourselves or the people around us in our projects, whether it's our family, our friends, or strangers we pass in the street. We must pray. Secondly, we endure. We endure. The reality is that standing in the gap is hard. Again, I feel like that's probably not something I need to say in a conference like this. It's hard to stand in the gap. The Hebrew word used in Ezekiel for stand isn't just a standing there casually. It has something about it that's more robust than that. It's taking a stand. It's refusing to be moved. It's standing and withstanding. It's saying, I will be steadfast here. I will endure and often that's what our communities around us need, isn't it? Yeah. A steadfastness that we, we see it. We are anchored in Jesus, which is why we can offer a steadfast anchor to those around us. We are in a culture where to stand firm and to endure and to be in it for the long haul is countercultural. It's countercultural in a context of short term fixes temporary budget cycles, and YouTube attention spans. Standing in the gap involves standing long after you have grown weary. It's one of the reasons we 
put this conference on every year is because we get weary, don't we? We get weary of doing good. The very thing the Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good. But it is hard. And so we must continue to stand long after we have grown weary. But thirdly, we don't just pray, we don't just endure, we repair. We work to close the gap. We work to build bridges in our communities. We work to build bridges in our nation. We work to repair breaches. It says that in Isaiah 58 verse 12. At the end of several verses about God's definition of true fasting. I know many of you in this room will know this passage well. You know, God talks about that true fasting looks like you share your food with the hungry. It looks like you provide shelter for the homeless. You provide clothing for those who don't have it. We break the chains of injustice. We pour ourselves out, it says, on behalf of those who are hungry and those who are afflicted. But God says that when we do those things, we shall be called the repairer of the breach. The repairer of the breach. We're not called to just stand in the gap. We are called to repair the gap, to bridge the gap, to repair the breach. So how do we do this? In some of the seminars here today and in the ones online that you can all access when you get home uh, later on today, there will be loads of practical examples and ideas of how we can stand in various types of gaps in our communities. I know you're going to find lots of helpful models, lots of helpful ideas, lots of thoughts from our exhibitors uh, and from each other as you network today. But when it comes to standing in the gap in the context of our growing inequality and poverty in our nation, I know that my tendency is often to race to think, what can I do with my hands, rather than to reflect on the state of my heart. And so I want to start us off today by actually looking at our hearts. If we're to be effective witnesses to our wonderful saviour, Jesus, if we are to point people to the one who stands in that ultimate gap, between us and God, then we have to start with our hearts. We have to start with our hearts because that's the only way that our social action and our social justice ministries will be any different to anything the world offers. You know, we do not have a monopoly on good works. We don't have a monopoly on compassion. One of the things I was very mindful of, particularly during the pandemic, was loads of people sprung up. Food banks in the boots of people's cars, well-meaning people. So what's the difference between that and social action that points people to Jesus that is infused with the Holy Spirit of God? Well, first, I think the first one, the first heart issue, is probably something that many of us in the room might find easier than some of the others, and that is to act justly. We are called to act justly. We are called to read headlines. When we read headlines like one million people, uh, one million children in destitution in our nation. Acting justly means that if we're not shocked, like I said I wasn't, that I get on my knees and I say, God, shock me, please. I know why I wasn't shocked. I get the logic of not being shocked. But please, Lord, shock me. Please let me be shocked. I don't want to be so familiar with these headlines that I think, oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, no, I knew that was going to happen. 
I want God's heart. I want to see clearly with his vision. And in order to do that, I need him to come by his Holy Spirit and do a work in my heart that actually makes me cry out against injustice, even when it's expected, even when it's the exact thing I thought was going to happen. God gets angry about sin. God is angry about injustice, poverty and oppression because these things were never meant to exist. We should get angry too. We don't often hear that, do we? But we should be angry. There is a righteous, godly anger that is the appropriate response to a million children not having enough food in a nation where there's plenty of food. So one of the things that I think is distinctive about our gospel witness in a culture that loves to tear down and loves to destroy individuals is that we should, and God please help us to do this, we should carry a righteous anger, a sense of justice, an anger against injustice that always leaves space for mercy. That always leaves space for mercy. It fights against systems It fights against arguments, myths, caricatures. It fights against policies even. But the goal is not to tear down and destroy individuals. The goal is to have justice in those systems. Biblical justice fights, and it fights hard. It's not weak. It's not tame. It's not calm. It's not kind of something mediocre and kind of flabby around the edges. It fights hard for the things that are wrong to be put right and for things that are evil to be demolished. But because it's based on God's heart, because it's based on God's justice, one of the things it must also fight for is genuine, authentic repentance. We don't see a lot of acceptance of apologies in our culture. We need to be a people who want to see repentance and believe that it is possible. Biblical justice never rules out redemption, restoration and reconciliation. It never writes people off completely. We are called to justice, not judgment. I find it easier to be judgmental. I do, I often say this, that if you um, ran a discipleship course in your church on how to be judgmental, I wouldn't need to come because I don't need your help. (laughs) I find I can do it all on my own, just happens very naturally. But I am called to act justly, not judgmentally. I'm also called to love mercy. To love mercy. In our anger... At injustice, we need to be careful not to fall into the same trap that Jonah in the Bible fell into, which was he was so angry with righteous anger at the evil that was being done by the people of Nineveh that he couldn't move on from that place so that when God showed mercy, instead of being angry anymore at the Ninevites, Jonah got angry at God. Let's not fall into that trap. Let's be those who both act justly and love mercy. Our culture, I believe, is actually anti-mercy. It's not just that it lacks mercy, it's anti-mercy. And the reason for that is because it seems to think that mercy can only come at the expense of justice. That the two things can't really coexist. 
that somehow to show mercy and to love mercy is somehow a denial of justice or a denial of pain or trauma or wrong things that have been done. But Jesus demonstrated that mercy and justice can coexist. When he died on the cross for our sins, mercy and justice came together perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. One of the things that is distinctive about the Christian faith, that is beautiful about the gospel, is that God doesn't do away with justice so that he can show mercy. There is satisfying justice and there is delightful mercy. Both at the same time, they coexist in perfect harmony in the cross. Justice was delivered in full when Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. And mercy is available to anyone who will come to Jesus and ask for it and accept it. Followers of Jesus, we're not to choose mercy over justice and we're not to choose justice over mercy. We are to act justly and love mercy. And God wouldn't have told us to do both those things if we couldn't. There's so many times in the Bible where justice and mercy are linked together. Even Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said to them, you, you tithe your spices and your herbs. I often think about that, what a pain. Measuring out exactly, you're tithing your spices. They were diligent. The Pharisees were diligent in their religious duties. They, they tithed their herbs and spices. But Jesus says to them, you have neglected the weightier things of mercy, justice, and faithfulness. We must act justly and love mercy. They are not incompatible. But our mercy, like our justice, is not to be mild, despite what the Christmas carol would tell us. Mercy is not mild. It is tender. Jesus was gentle and lowly in heart. So mercy is gentle, it is lowly, it is tender, but it is not mild. Loving mercy doesn't mean we don't get angry. Loving mercy doesn't mean we say, well, I better not fight for justice because I need to love mercy. Loving mercy is intrinsically linked to acting justly. And loving mercy, what it means is that when we get angry, we hold our anger well. We hold our anger well. We don't get prone to outbursts of, you know, rage on social media or in real life. But we hold our anger well, where we do call people to account. We do hold systems to account. We do say this is wrong and it should not be so. But we hold our anger well. We don't give up fighting for justice. But fighting for justice isn't about shouting on the sidelines. Fighting for justice is about building bridges in the gaps. And we can't build bridges if we despise the people on the other side of the bridge. We can't. If we write people off, if we just believe you group over there, you are just wholly evil, there's nothing good about you, if we write you off entirely, we cannot build bridges if we do that. Mercy believes the best of people. It's hard. But mercy believes the best of people and it wants the best for people. We believe the best rather than assuming that other people's intentions and motives are bad. And we want the best. 
in that we pray for and we hope for redemption and restoration, even in the lives of those we might consider our enemies. It's hard, but it's the very thing Jesus told us to do, to love our enemies and do good to those who harm us. The Bible says that God's kindness leads to repentance. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. So we are to imitate him by seeking to win others over with a wisdom that the Bible describes as pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. There's a humility to this wisdom that we read about in the Bible, this godly wisdom. There's a humility to it. And if we're going to be those who are going to stand in the gap and repair the breach, we need to not only act justly and love mercy, but we need to walk humbly with our God. There's a lot of overlap between these three issues of the heart. Because when we show mercy to those we disagree with and those who are unjust, we do it from a starting place of recognising that there is no such thing as the undeserving and the deserving. That that argument is a myth. There's not some who are deserving and some who are undeserving. We are all undeserving. Every single one of us, we are all undeserving. It requires humility to acknowledge that. It requires humility to confess that we are flawed and we have sinned and that we want justice some of the time but not all of the time. If you've ever got a speeding ticket, you'll probably know what I mean. (laughs) I want justice when I'm wronged and I want mercy when I'm in the wrong. But God's justice is perfect. It takes humility to... Acknowledge that we don't have all the answers. And that actually sometimes, even the very people we might oppose what they say, we might disagree with what they are putting in place, even then they may have some answers that we don't have. We don't have a monopoly on good works and we don't have a monopoly on good ideas. Humility confesses that we are not right about everything. It acknowledges we don't have all the answers and it recognises that every single person, no matter how much we like them or not, is made in the image of God. Every single person made in the image of God. That means they might have more wisdom in some areas than we do. They might have more knowledge. They might have more insight. They might um, know what they're doing. It acknowledges, humility acknowledges, I am not wholly enlightened. But humility also shares power. Humility shares power. Humility empowers others by giving power away. Now, some of us in this room might think, I haven't got any power. But most of us, in some way or another, do have some sort of power. And sharing power sometimes looks like we just don't let people become dependent on us because we recognize we're not the Savior. There is one Savior. And it's not me, it's not you, it's Jesus Christ. A posture of humility is not one that creates dependence, it is one that empowers others by giving away power. If we are to stand in the gap and build bridges, we need to raise up others to do likewise. That's actually the vision God sets out for people who are in poverty and captivity and mourning and injustice. In Isaiah 61, it says they become rebuilders, renewers and restorers. They become repairers of the breach. 
God might be calling some of us here today to think about how we can step out of the way. I don't mean retire. I don't mean go and sit down somewhere comfortably and stop doing what you're doing. It's not about that. It's about stepping out of the way to create space for other people. It's about sharing the platform or position or um, project or whatever it is that we've got so that others can come and take their place as repairers of the breach as well. There are gaping wide gaps in our society. Gaping wide and getting wider. We are called as Christians to stand in the gap, to repair the breach. And the starting place for this is imitating Jesus, the one who acted justly, loved mercy and walked humbly. He is our example. He is the one we follow. He is the one we are becoming more and more like, one degree at a time, not overnight, but just one step at a time. And we're going to learn, as I've said, loads of practical things throughout today. But as we end this session, there's an opportunity uh, for us to give ourselves afresh to God, for us to commit ourselves to standing in the gap, to praying more than we've prayed before, to enduring even when we're weary, to repairing the gaps, not just talking about the fact that they exist. I wonder if the band could come back up. I really believe that we have an opportunity this morning where God wants to do something in our hearts as we ask him to make us more like Jesus, as we ask him to let us be caught up again with the beauty of the one who is the God of justice, the God of mercy, and the humble one who died for our sins on the cross. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we are so grateful that you stood in the gap for us. We're so grateful you stood in the gap, the gap that we couldn't bridge. All our good works would never have come anywhere close to bridging that chasm that sat between us and the Father. Jesus, thank you that you came and you built that ultimate bridge between us so that we can enter in fully. Thank you we get to enjoy now being in you, Jesus. That your Father is our Father. That your Spirit is our Spirit. And so would you come, Jesus, and have your way in us, not just in the next few minutes, but all of today and in the coming days and weeks. Jesus, come have your way. Come do what you want. We we repent, God, of where we we only want justice some of the time and not the rest of the time, God. We repent where we haven't wanted mercy and redemption and reconciliation. We repent where we thought we've got all the answers and we've failed to acknowledge that others might know more than us. Help us, we pray. We need your spirit. We cannot do it on our own. Thank you that you are more committed to making us like Jesus than we are. Thank you. Would you come, Jesus, come speak to us now individually, different ones across the room. Jesus, would you just whisper by your spirit and would you help us to be more and more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. Huge thanks to Natalie Williams for that brilliant message. What stood out to you, Rachel? There's so much there, isn't there? Particularly what we do while we're standing in the gap, that we don't just have our hands in our pockets and we don't even just meet a pressing need. It's the fact that we're called to repair the breach, but also to raise up repairers of the breach specifically from among those we're reaching. I know that's something we're really um, thinking about Jubilee Plus at the moment as well. 
And I think also just the call to build bridges and to stay when others leave, when budget cycles end or the issue become less becomes less fashionable or whatever it is that we stay and that we stand and that we withstand. And everything she was saying there just really reminded me of Ephesians 6 where it says, therefore take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Uh, that it's not a passive position that we're in when we're standing in the gap, but actually we're repairing, we're raising up repairers from among those we're reaching. And ultimately we're standing and we're withstanding when others leave as well. Uh, Just so helpful. Yeah, it was brilliant. I I just felt like she packed so much into that talk that when I listened to it the second time, it was like hearing a new talk. There was just, (laughs) yeah, so much wisdom in there. And I always love what Natalie says about mercy. I know that's key to uh, who you are at Jubilee Plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she spoke so beautifully, didn't she, about how God doesn't need to do away with justice so that he can be merciful, how they find their perfect um, compatibility in the cross of Jesus. And really, I just feel like that that call is so countercultural at the moment to hold justice and mercy and humility together. It just feels like we live in a society and we're surrounded by activists who are very pro-justice. But wow, mercy and humility is often in short supply and Jesus yet yeah, embodies all three of those and they, he empowers us somehow by his spirit to do the same it was just such a helpful check on our hearts yeah and, and wasn't what she said about building bridges just so apt for right now Rachel I mean she said I wrote this down because I found it really helpful we can't build bridges if we despise the people on the other side yeah. of the bridge yeah. I mean <laughs> just brilliant yeah, yeah. And we really, we've got to stand against myths and policy and caricature, but somehow do it without tearing down individuals. And that is a, that's a tough thing to do. It's a tough call. It really is. Yeah. Just seeing the best in people and wanting the best for people genuinely. Yes. Um, not just as, as a theory. Yeah. And I, I, I heard um, Sam Ward's seminar, which we will be releasing on the podcast. Um, uh, and something that Natalie said really chimed in with that about power and humility and, and giving power away did you hear Sam's seminar yeah it felt like a real privilege to be in the room I'd really encourage people to listen to Sam's seminar on church for the chaotic so much wisdom in there and I think he was talking about sharing power um, in the context of discipleship as well that sometimes um, we can feel like it's got discipleship especially when it's we're discipling someone from chaotic background should be one-to-one and intense that's an enormous amount of pressure but it's also an enormous amount of power that we wield so much better um, when we have a group of people coming alongside a person from who's coming from a background of chaos and actually bringing stability and um, and bringing support. But also, I loved what you said about it being reciprocal, that it, ha- it ha- those relationships have to be reciprocal. Mm. And I know there's relationships I've looked back in the past where I've um, tried to be the person who's giving all the time. and There's not much dignity in that and actually real depth has come when I've accepted wisdom and learned and listened mm. um, accepted advice and um, and help from the other person so that I just his whole um, seminar though was just packed with wisdom wisdom really helpful yeah it was great so having heard all this I'm, I imagine people might want to get a little bit more involved with Jubilee Plus and find out a bit more about you so what what are the sort of things that you would suggest to people yeah, so lots of ways to connect. I'd, I'd probably recommend heading first to our website, um, finding out more about our partner church scheme, which is kind of the primary way that we connect with and shape churches throughout the year. Um, you can find us on social media. You can read Natalie's 
books but also I would really encourage you if you possibly can to join us in Liverpool next year at Churches That Change Communities. We're being hosted at Frontline Church Liverpool and that's on the 9th of November uh, for a one-day conference so get that in your diaries early. I'm so excited it's going to be in the north. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have you with us Abby. <laughs> yeah person. I mean Brighton is beautiful but I'm so sorry it was just that touch too far for me but I'm yeah. it did look like you had a fantastic time and beautifully hosted like even just listening into the seminars you could tell that there was just that vibe in the room of everybody was so happy to be there and um, yeah it was great. Yeah, such a good feel to the day. Um, one of our biggest conferences so far. Uh, yeah, really, we were so glad to have people joining us online and from watch parties as well as in the room. And uh, and we're just we're hoping lots of those people come with us in the, to Liverpool next year as well. Yeah, yeah. I loved what Toppy said in the in the talk about how people come back from Jubilee Bus and it costs him money as a church leader. <laughs> And he's so good at delivering those lines because he's so straight as well. And um, yeah, he got a really good laugh for that one because he's like, it's very expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was good. (laughs) Thanks so much for hosting with me, Rachel. It's been great to be with you. Great to be with you. I really enjoyed it today. Thanks, Abby. And thank you for joining us here on the Jubilee Plus podcast. Do make sure you subscribe because then you'll find out first when a new episode comes out and we're going to be bringing you the seminars from the conference over the next few weeks. And if you want to find out more about Jubilee Plus and how you can get involved, as Rachel talked about, you can go to their website and you can also click on the show notes, which are attached to this episode and you'll find out some more information there about how you can get involved and get supported. See you very soon. Shelter of your